Okay, well, guys, if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Luke 12. And we're going to read from verse uh, 13. And um, just to give you a little bit of a a health warning, uh, there is a lot in this passage. (laughs) It's pretty challenging. Yeah. And um, Jesus, once again, is talking about money and possessions. So when I read this passage and I thought, have I really, like, I feel like, I feel like this kind of comes up all the time. But the problem is when you read through the Gospels, it does come up all the time because Jesus keeps talking about it all the time. And in fact, I think when they've done studies of the Gospels and they kind of go, well, Jesus probably talks about the kingdom the most. But then his second most favorite topic, I think, is about money. He just keeps talking about it. Now, it's not a very favorite topic in churches. Uh, there's not a lot of laughs often in churches. Most of the room goes, okay, the temperature drops in the room when we talk about money. Um, so uh, I apologize ahead of time. Well, I'm not really apologizing. We're going to go there because Jesus goes there. But I know that these subjects are sensitive, at times controversial. I know they're close to home. Uh, that may well be different culturally for numbers of us in the room about how we approach this subject. But Jesus has a lot to say about money and possessions. Um, but I've actually called this talk uh, Living a Big Life because although it is about money and possessions, it's actually an invite to lead a big life. And the reason that it is is because Jesus pivots so much of our growth or if you like hindrance to our growth on this issue how we handle this one is critical when it comes to our spirit our lives as followers of jesus and that's why he keeps coming back to not because he's got a thing about money not because he wants people's money in fact jesus doesn't ask for anybody's money now there is a biblical principle about giving which we will touch on towards the end um which i want to encourage you into But I think the reason he keeps going for it is because he knows if you want to lead lead a big life, if you want your life to become all that it could become in terms of what he has for you, this one is not a sideshow. This is not one of those, well, it kind of matters, it doesn't. No, 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 Jesus keeps going. No, this is front and center because it competes for the affections of your heart like nothing else does, right? So that's why we're going to get into it. Um, but it does come with a little bit of a health warning, and I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, so forgive me if I do, but I might get cr- close to the line. So if one or two of you are feeling a little bit, ooh, that's probably right. Okay? Because I think that's what he does. In fact, he goes much closer. You know, if you really read, it, read him, if you don't sanitize Jesus, you'll find, whoa. Okay? Yeah? Because he keeps calling people to choose. He says, you know, he says to the fishermen, come follow me, lead everything and follow me. And they do it. They, he speaks to the rich young ruler, give to the poor. You know, I've, I've followed every single commandment. I've been absolutely righteous in terms of, and he says, well, give everything you have to the poor. And the, and the guy goes away sad. He can't do it. Because this is the issue often in our hearts. It's not the only issue. Anyway, there we go. I could have, I could just finish that. Verse 13 of Luke 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he gets heckled again. Jesus, someone shouts out again. So Jesus is always with real people, touching real issues. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Okay, we live in a world that says it does. Right? Absolutely, life consists in an abundance of possessions. That's what our secular culture in the Western world will tell you. But Jesus goes, it's, it's not true. It's a myth. It doesn't, it's not real. Life doesn't consist in an abundance. The more abundance you have doesn't give you more life, in other words, is what he's saying. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So there's a warning in here, okay? Jesus is warning us. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. In other words, one of the drivers to storing up is anxiety. We store up because we're worried. Don't worry what you will eat, what you will wear, uh, about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Why? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers and how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief can come near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and locks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, a few years ago, Sarah and I went out for dinner with some friends. We went to a Chinese restaurant. This is when we were living in the UK. And I think there were, I don't know, three couples, I think. We went to this Chinese restaurant, and it was one of those meals where you pay a certain amount, and then you can order as much as you like. Yep. Um, but, but you couldn't just, like, over-order. Like, they would charge you if there was waste. Does that make sense? So, you can't, so if you ever, I don't know if they have that, but in, in the UK, they have those. and it was this kind of, So we went there, but we didn't really know what we were doing. So we just kind of like, the, the waiter comes over, so we just start picking one or two things we recognize, and then we just start picking other things, because you can. So they kind of like write them all down, and off they go. And about 10 minutes later, the first waiter comes and brings about three or four dishes to our table. Great. Great. And then about another minute later, another waiter brings another three or four dishes. Okay, great. So we kind of try to make space. 
And we're thinking, great, that's enough. And then another waiter comes and brings out another two or three dishes. Because every time you order a dish, you don't know if it's one dish or whether. And, and this kept happening until the point that we're kind of going, okay, we need another table. Can we borrow your table? Like, can we drag this table? So we're, and it's, like, it was just embarrassing. It's like the amount of food that was like, beginning to accumulate on our table and the table next. And they just keep bringing more stuff. And we, we had no idea. We just ordered way too much. And one of my friends... It's still there to this day, eating that meal, okay? <laughs> Two or three years later, just so we didn't pay. No, obviously he's not. But it was just this, like, enormous abundance of food just keep coming in. And when I read this passage, that's what it reminds <coughs> me of. It's like um, a friend of mine who's a very, very good Bible teacher, another guy who heard him teach said, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's like, and it's like, this passage is like that. It's just incredible abundance. Jesus keeps, like, downloading more and more and more stuff. And it's like, I just can't digest everything you're saying to me. And this kind of incredible abundance of kingdom truth. But I think if you were to boil it down, Jesus keeps going, I want to tell you about what counts, what matters about your life, and what doesn't really matter. What doesn't really count and Jesus through the gospels is saying to you you have a chance an opportunity to live a life that really matters you get a chance to come home spiritually you get a chance to get your life cleaned up sorted out you get forgiveness for stuff that you really you shouldn't be forgiven but because Jesus comes and pays the price you get to come home get cleaned up you get a chance to and you get a new start and this new start means you get to live a life with purpose and contentment yes there's challenge but in the midst of the challenge a sense of peace and it's like you get the opportunity for a big life everybody wants to lead a big life a life that counts i don't know anybody who doesn't want to live a life that counts right jesus goes you get to live a life that counts but part of living a big life is sorting out the issue of money and possessions and getting really clear Whose are they and what are they for? And right in the middle, he tells this story that we touched on last week, where he tells a story about a man who builds bigger and bigger barns. And the real killer thing about the story is this man invests his life into everything he thinks counts, and he finds out at the end of his life, none of it counted. And he misses his life entirely. And Jesus is going, you don't want to be that guy. No one wants to live a life that at the end of your life, whenever that comes, you look back and go, I missed it. That is a possibility. But Jesus goes, also there's a possibility that you can live a life that really counts. That's why he talks about put your treasure where it counts. (laughs) There is somewhere that counts, right? And he keeps saying, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Invest in what counts, not in what doesn't count. Don't get caught up with the myth and the illusion. So he tells this story. Now, what's interesting before we get into the story is Jesus in Luke 12 has a phrase that he uses basically twice. Once we read in the passage, once comes earlier. He says this phrase, he says, watch out, be on your guard. The first time he says it is right at the start of the chapter and he says, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Basically, what he's saying is, don't be the person who externally has a faith. We sing the songs, we appear to be religious, although none of us want to be religious in the the way the world thinks about religion, okay? (coughs) 
but you appear, we appear to have, we have a facade, but inside we don't follow at all. That's the yeast of the Pharisees. We say one thing, but really we live something else. Publicly we look like this, but privately we are someone different. Don't live that life. Why? Not because you're going to be in the headmaster's office one day with God, but because you're living a divided life and there is no contentment there. He says, don't, don't, don't do that. And then he says the same phrase, basically again, halfway through, where he says, uh, be on your guard. But this time he says, against all kinds of greed, life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So now think, why does he say, watch out, be on your guard? What do you, why, if those of you who have kids, when you say watch out to them, why? Because you're saying there's danger there. Be careful. So watch out. And then he tells this story. And it keeps coming up again and again and again and again, the issue of money. You'll know four chapters later, Jesus says, basically, you can't serve both God and money. He's not saying money's bad. He's not saying you shouldn't earn money. He's not saying you shouldn't earn good money. He's saying, don't put it first place in your life. Don't make it the thing you go for. Don't make it the definition of what success looks like because it will never satisfy you. In fact, it will kill all the things God wants to do in your life. So he's saying it's not wrong to have money. He's saying don't put it first. Don't make it the thing. And then he tells this story. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. He's already got loads of stuff, right? But strangely enough, it's never enough. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones. Then I'll store my surplus grain. You know, I think in America, the biggest industry or one of the biggest industries is like, um, you know, the places where you go and put your additional stuff, storage, storage, storage units. Because, and it's not just America, it's all over the Western world. Because we don't have enough space in our house to store all our stuff. <laughs> what does that say? It says that we never have enough stuff. We never get satisfied. It's one of the biggest industries in the world. Extra storage for stuff we never need. Right? But that, that just shows you how intoxicating this is. I'm going to pay more money to store my stuff that I'm never going to look at. It's bonkers. Bizarre. But we are all caught up in a world that says abundance is where life is. And Jesus is going, I'm going to tell you a story about a man who gives his life to abundance. So he says, I'm going to build bigger barns. Then he, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, one day you'll arrive and you'll be fully satisfied and contented. But God says, you're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, a few things. First of all, this guy, on the face of it, in our world, would be celebrated. Clearly good at business, makes a ton of money, has a nice property, builds a bigger property. So in the world, this is incredibly celebrated because it looks like he's building a great life. And yet, God says, no, 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 you're investing your life in things that don't count and you're missing a big life. And there's a few things in this passage which I think are really challenging, helpful, concerning, inspiring. So here's the first one. The first thing Jesus says is, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Where did the harvest come from? It doesn't come from the man. It came from the ground. Did the man make the ground? No, he didn't make the ground. In other words, he didn't generate all the wealth. 
right? So think about your own scenario. Most of us live in probably, we are in the top, probably the 10% of the world's richest people. I know we don't think like that, but most of us are. We live in the Western world. We live in a prosperous uh, city, in a prosperous nation, okay? We are, compared to most of the world, incredibly rich. The issue is, is that we often compare up and we think, well, we're not as rich as them, so I'm not rich. I can assure you, and me, most of us are. Probably in the top 10% and maybe in the top five, some of us. Okay, Sarah and I are fortunate enough to own a house in London. We would be in some of the richest people in the world, therefore. Although we know a lot more rich people. But compared to the world, we are incredibly <laughs> prosperous. Okay? And Jesus says, the ground of a certain man. In other words, what that means is, for many of us, we are the benefits of things that we've never been in control of. I grew up in southeast England, which is a prosperous place, relative. If I had grown up in places like, let's say, Bangladesh, I suspect I would be nowhere near as prosperous. I had no control over where I was born. I didn't inform my parents. I didn't talk to them about it. I didn't say, please, could we grow up in southeast? You know, I, hadn't, I had no control. Right? Now, why is that important? Why, that is important because what it means is I did not generate a lot of the possessions and money I have. It's not down to me. Okay? And one of the issues is, is am I a, an owner, as in, is this down to me, or am I a steward? Because when we realize that so much of what we have is in spite of us, not because of us, then it starts to challenge our perspective on who owns the stuff. <laughs> the ground of a certain man yielded a huge abundance. If he'd lived in another place with another set of ground, he probably wouldn't have had all that abundance. I heard a story a while ago about, well, I'll read it to you. A traveler between flights and an airport went to a lounge and brought a small package of cookies or biscuits. Then they sat down and began reading a newspaper. Gradually, this lady became aware of a rustling noise from behind her paper. So she's sitting down, she's put her biscuits there, and she becomes aware of a, of a, a rustling noise. She was flabbergasted to see a neatly dressed man sitting opposite her, helping herself to her cookies. Not wanting to make a scene, she leaned over and took one of them for herself. A minute or two passed, and then she became aware of more noise, more rustling. He is helping himself to another cookie. By this time, he had come to the end of the package, and she was so angry she did not dare allow herself to say anything. Then, as if to add insult to injury, the man broke the final biscuit in half and pushed the half to her and took the half for himself. She's fuming. Sometime later, her flight comes up. She gets on the flight. She can't believe what this guy has done. She sits down, opens her bag, and to her shocking embarrassment, there she found a packet of unopened cookies. <laughs> she has been eating all his biscuits, and he's been happily sharing them with her. The point is, who's the owner? Who do all the biscuits belong to? And Jesus is saying, they don't belong to you, and they don't belong to me. We're called to be stewards, not owners. Everything I have, everything you have, we're a steward. We're not an owner. Because the biscuits weren't, were never ours. But this guy in this story is an owner. He just thinks, it's all mine. I made it. I worked for it. I deserve it. And I want more of it. That's how he thinks. He's an owner. 
And part of leading a big life is settling the ownership issue in your heart. Is it yours? Is it his? And does he lend it to you for a while? So you all know, Sarah and I used to live in London. I, we used to work for a church there. I, it, was a, it became a very big church. We had a very nice suite of offices by the end. And I had my own office. It was amazing. It's the only time I ever had my own office. It was very nice. Okay? Sarah didn't have her own office, but she came, <laughs> came in and used mine. But I remember, this is not to make me sound more spiritual than I am, but I do remember this. As I walked into this office for the first time, I remember sitting there and thinking, this is really nice. And I remember God saying, it's not yours. You're just looking after it for a while. That office is not mine anybody, anymore. Some other guy has got my office now. <laughs> I know who he is, and I'm going to hunt him down. Okay? <laughs> no, he's a friend of mine. He, and I'm like, because it was never mine. I was just looking after it for a while. That's true of all our stuff. Okay, here's the next thing. We just touched on this last week. What you see is, in the story, this guy speaks to himself all the time. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I will tear down the barns, bigger ones. Then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The point is, the only voice he listens to in the whole story is his own. Nobody else speaks into his life. He just listens to himself. Now, here's the danger, okay? When it comes to something as intoxicating as money, if we only listen to our own voice, we can convince ourselves of anything. We can, we can convince ourselves of any decision we want to make, basically, around money and possessions, because I'm only listening to my own voice. And we can validate almost any decision we choose to make if it's just less to our own voice. This guy decides, yeah, I'm right, I'm right. He's living in his own little echo chamber. He just decides. And if we only hear our own voices on this subject especially, we're in real danger, because we can convince ourselves of pretty much anything. I mean, I've been a pastor in a church for quite a few years now, even though I know I still look about 22. And that was a joke. Okay, okay. It was a silent. It wasn't a very good joke. But, but I have been, in, sadly, in a number of conversations with people who have made pretty awful decisions. And they've convinced themselves it's a good decision. They've taken no advice. They've not sought any counsel for anybody they trust. They've just gone, yeah, that's, I, it's a good idea for me to leave my wife. Or I've decided this, I'm going to do this. And it's like, what? Did you talk to anybody? No. And by then you can just tell. They're listening, but they're not listening. Like the horse has bolted, in other words. Because they never listened to anybody else. They never sought anybody else's advice. Proverbs 15 says this, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed So, here's the thing, right? When it comes to our money and possessions, here's the great irony. Jesus says, this issue is critical to your life. You have to, you have to get clear on this. You've got to work out if you're a steward or an owner. You've got to make decisions in line with that. You've got to decide what you're going to give away and what you're going to keep. Right? Jesus will say again and again how powerful money is. It has, an, it has a name, mammon. It has a ha- hold on us. It reveals where our heart is, and it also will affect where our heart is. But also money is incredibly deceptive. And that's why he keeps saying, watch out for. 
because we will convince ourselves we're more generous than we really are. We'll convince ourselves that we're not greedy when we are, because it's incredibly deceptive. And we could, we could, if we had more time, we could get into that. So money is powerful and it's deceptive, right? And I don't know about all the cultures in the, in the room, so forgive me, but in the Western culture where I come from, people, it's very private. <laughs> so we don't talk about it. And in churches, that's why it's so difficult because no one likes to be challenged on it. Don't tell me what to do with my stuff. But Jesus is like, I want to tell you what to do with your stuff. <laughs> So the very last thing that we will seek advice on is money, and yet it's the very most thing we should seek advice on. Because culturally we're so awkward about talking about it, and yet it, our lives pivot on this issue in one sense. That's the irony. So Jesus keeps bringing it up and going, what you do with your heart when it comes to money has a huge impact on your life. And that's why he says, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Now notice, verse 18, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a bigger barn, bigger barn, right? He's just talking to himself. But then you hear God's voice. The first time you hear God's voice in this story, God says, you fool. Suddenly God speaks into the issue of money and possessions in his life. And it turns out there is someone with a lot more authority than him after all. So he has been the only authority in his own life and it turns out that there is someone with a lot more authority. And when you read that story, I wonder how long had God been trying to speak to him about money? I bet this wasn't the first time. I bet God had whispered again and again. I wonder if he'd been in church and heard loads of talks about money, heard them. It's like, gone. Just out. That was a nice talk. I enjoyed that talk. I didn't really enjoy that talk. Let's come back again next Sunday, maybe. Hopefully he's going to say something I want to hear. So I wonder how many times he had heard, but never heard. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lilia. And then God asks him a question that he cannot answer in the story. Did you see the question? He says, now, what's going to happen to all the stuff you've laid up for yourself? Jesus is not teaching a nice little moral story, a nice fable, a nice fairy tale story. He's not, no, he's, he's, he is exposing the utter irony of his life. He has stored up everything, hoping it's going to deliver life, and what he's found is he's got everything entirely wrong. He's missed his life because he got consumed with something that he should never have been consumed with. It's literally consumed him. If you've if you've ever read the Lord of the Rings stories, if you watch those films, the Ring of Power is, based, is this picture almost of mammon. It's like this, it, it, you want it, they start calling it, everybody who holds the ring calls it, it's my precious. But when they have the precious, the precious consumes them. That's, that's what you'll get in this story and when Jesus teaches about it. So the man thinks it's all his, but it turns out none of it was his at all in the first place. It's deeply sobering. And the challenge is often when we get to the end of our lives, the end of our life tends to expose the truth about our lives. So it's deeply challenging. And there's a huge warning in this passage when it comes to money. But also I would say there's good news as well because there is a wonderful invitation 
when it comes to what Jesus then goes on to teach. Because he says, there is a way to live in your life that anxiety does not win. Fear doesn't win. You don't have to be driven by this need to accumulate more and more. There is a way of living a different life. And he says in verse 22, why do you worry about your stuff like food and clothes? How much of worrying has ever changed anything? You can't even add a single hour to your own life. You can't even do this little thing. And there's so much in that passage, but he says these killer words right in the middle. He says this, if that is how God clothes the grass, the glass, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So he says, look, here's a warning, but here's an invitation to live your life differently to the world, to lead a big life. (coughs) And then he says, now here's the promise. And right in the center of the promise, he diagnoses the issue of our hearts. He goes, you are of little faith. In other words, why do we run after this stuff? Yes, because the world is consuming. But the reason we run after this stuff really is because we don't believe him. I don't believe him. (laughs) He says, you've got little faith. Little faith in what? Little faith that he will give you what you need. If I give this away, will he supply? Can I cope without this money I'm going to give away? Can I give to the poor? Can I be generous to people around me? Can I give to the church? I don't know if I can. Why? Well, because I don't trust that he's going to do what he says he will do. I can give, alternatively, because I trust he will be who he says he is. And Jesus says, you don't give because you don't really believe me. So then he makes a promise. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry, for the pagan world runs after these things. But seek first his kingdom. And your father knows what you need, that you need them. He knows. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus makes a promise. He goes, here's a warning. Don't miss your life. Don't give your life to money and possessions. Don't get sucked into that. It's not true. It's an illusion. You can't own it anyway. It's not yours. You're a steward, not an owner. Don't believe the myth. But, he says, the problem is actually the heart. You don't really believe me. So here's a promise. Put me first. Your father knows what you need. It's going to be fine. It will be all right. He'll look after you. That's the promise. Now, one of the principles I've learned over my kind of last few years is one of the keys to spiritual change and growth. If you want to change, if you know my life is sucked into a life of pursuing this thing, is you can't just resist that. I'm not going to do that anymore. You can't resist it. You've got to replace it. You can't just resist something. You have to replace it. In other words, so here's the thing. This man does have faith. This man who builds bigger miles does have faith. His faith is, though, is this. If I get more and more stuff, my life's going to be good. He's believing in, if I get more, I'll be good. So he does have a faith. It's just his faith is in, if I get more stuff, I'm going to do all right. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. That's an illusion. (laughs) It's not real. It's not real. You can't just resist it. You have to replace it in faith in somebody else. And Jesus is going, I'm going to give you a promise you can stand on. Here's the promise. Seek me first. Put my kingdom first. Operate financially in the way I instruct you to. And your father is going to look after you. It's going to be okay. That's why he's telling the story. Displace wrong faith with right faith. Let me give you one other scriptural promise on this. Malachi 3. I think, if 
from what I remember, I think this is the only moment in the Bible where God says, test me. Most times it's like, don't put the Lord your God to, don't test him. But here he does, it says this, Were, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation. So it's a prophetic verse to a nation. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. I think that is the one moment where God goes, test me. If you bring, if you live your life the way you should financially, Jesus is saying, or God is saying in this passage, test me, I will deliver for you. So, as we come to close, here's the thing, right? What are you going to do? Here's what I want to suggest to you. If you are married here, I want to suggest that you have a conversation this week and go, are we honouring God with our finances? Some of us are married, maybe our spouse isn't a believer in the church, so you may want to find somebody else to talk to you about this. I don't know. You have to work it out. But if you're married, because, because money is deceptive we can tell ourselves yeah yeah i am well maybe maybe we're not i don't know this is between you and him it's not between me and you but have the conversation are we are we hedging our bets are we really doing what he says or or are we not if you're single here i want to suggest you find a friend a christian friend in the church, ideally, or maybe not in the church, but I'll, and have the conversation with them and go, can I talk to you about money and possessions and where I am with this stuff? And if you don't live generously, if you keep everything to yourself and you don't give to other people, you don't give into a church, if you're connected to this church, you don't give to this church, or if you go to another church, you don't give to that church, I want to say, I think the Bible really challenges your view on possessions. Because what you're saying is, I want to be, Jesus, you can be Lord, but just not of this bit of my life. And Jesus is going, no, no, I want your whole life. And this one is a big one in the kingdom. Now, Sarah and I talked about this. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we do it as we close. This is not meant to generate anything other than just authenticity. Really? That's the only reason we're saying this. So... We have, for many, many years, practiced that we will give at least 10% of our income, our gross income before tax, to the church, to whatever church we're part of. Wherever we're part of a community of faith, that is what we give. First fruits. The Old Testament has a principle of tithing, which is 10%. The New Testament doesn't specify, but every principle in the New Testament actually inflates the Old Testament. That's the good news, everybody. <laughs> So there's nothing you can say prescriptively, this is what you should give. But actually, the Old Testament is 10%. So we give at least 10%. At times in our life, we have given 20%. We give normally at least 10%, and, and we also budget an additional amount of money that we just give away. It sits in a pot in an account, and whenever we meet someone in need that we feel like we want to give it to them, that's what it is for. It's not ours. That is how we have lived for quite a long time, right? We have dropped in income from moving from the UK to here by about 40%. In 
I'm not saying that to, ooh, but you go through seasons like this. And what we found is, do you know, God, God is true to his word. You constantly feel the pull of, but not, no, 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 no. But actually he's saying, no, no, I'm more interested in your life than how much money or how big your house is. God blesses you, you can buy a big house, amen. But do you know what? It's not for you, just. It's there to bless other people as well. So that is how we have lived. We at times have given money away. At times we have been on the receiving people, people giving very generously to us. But we have found that if we honor him financially, he looks after us. We're fine. Praise the Lord. Here's the last thing. So I want to encourage you to have those conversations, as in don't just hear a message from Jesus about money and go, well, that was nice. I'm not going to do anything with it. Here's the last thing. Verse 35. Be dressed ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. He, uh, he basically describes a bunch of people who are dressed, ready. Okay, They're not hanging out in their pajamas. That phrase is the same as in Exodus 12 when the Israelites are uh, eating the Passover meal and they said, now, get ready, eat the meal, put your cloak tucked into your belt, sandals on your feet and staff in your hand. They're eating a meal, ready to go, right? You and I are called to eat the meal, live in our lives right now, ready to go. Because we know this life is not what it's just about, right? You're to live your life, I am to live my life conscious that one day, we're ready to go. Be dressed, ready. Live a life fully conscious that this life is not just it. Aware that eternity is real, God is real, and there, there is a far greater reality to come. So let's stand. We're going to pray.